Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 7th of June 2015, entitled The Grace of Giving, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-7. to Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's a passage that if you've been here very long, you'll be familiar with. <laughs> But yet it's a passage that even as I reread it this past week, I think, Lord, how could I miss so very much? (laughs) You know, God is such a God of love that just gives and gives and gives, no matter how little that we deserve it. Let me read the passage. I don't even know where I'm going myself here this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'd like to begin by reading the first seven verses. And I invite you to stand to honor the most precious words in all the world, God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Father, we thank you again. Lord, I plead with you as we look into your word this morning. Lord, speak to us that which we need to hear. Speak to our hearts. Lord, we realize that there are many of our church family that are not here with us this morning, and no matter what we say, they will not hear that message. But Lord, for those that are here, we need not the words of wisdom of a man. We need the words from on high. We need not words that are spoken just to our minds and our intellect, but we need you to speak to our hearts. So, Father, we pray that you would do so today, that we would not leave here simply knowing something else in our minds, but that we would leave here knowing with assurance in our hearts. And we'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we began, I guess it was four Sundays ago, in the evening service. And we began with the thought of a fool's legacy, of the fact of what a very foolish thing it is to leave behind what is of value to this world and in this world alone. This world is so short. It is so very brief. And yet there are so many that what they leave behind, the legacy they leave behind is more important what they're leaving for others when they leave this world here upon earth than what they're leaving in eternity. And then we move the following Sunday and we ask ourselves a question, do missions really matter? Does it really matter, the mission of reaching the lost with Christ? And we answered it very specifically, no, it doesn't matter if disobedience to Christ matters not to us. No, it doesn't matter if denial of the gospel matters not to us. No, it really matters not 
if the damnation of souls for eternity matters not to us. And then we looked two weeks ago at the thought of a crisis in the church. And that's the Sunday that normally I would have been focusing more upon what we're going to be looking at today, but convinced, as we said in those weeks leading up, that God has got to get us away from what we ought to be doing with all the calculations of our giving, and it's got to get to the heart of the matter. <laughs> that's where it changes. We looked at the seven churches in Revelation. We looked at the progression right up to the end when the church literally made God sick to his stomach we find that it all began when they left their first love. <laughs> they left their first love. I, you know, I don't, I don't say this to be unkind. It's amazing how that time marches on. It's amazing how that in the blink of an eye, you know, as we look at our lives and we look at where our lives have come and what we've left behind so far and where we're going. And it all happens so very quickly. In just two or three short weeks, whatever, the first Sunday of July <laughs> will mark the 25th year <laughs> since I came here as pastor. <laughs> a 34-year-old young man. I'm a little bit older than that now. <laughs> where have those years gone? And as I look back, and so many times when we think, and as we were speaking earlier, you know, as a church, we have some great challenges before us, but that's nothing new. There have always been challenges for the church right through history. That's part of what we've seen, and there are many things that can go right and wrong, but we dare not lose our first love. <laughs> we dare not lose what will motivate us above all else. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to look around. It's easy to look at all the hard, difficult, terrible things that we're going through. It's hard for me as a pastor to look this morning and see all the empty seats and know, and know that there are people that could be there, that should be there, that need to be there, not because they love me. I know what a challenge that could be, but because they really love God enough and because they really love this church enough. But you know, I can't preach to any of them this morning. I look back at those 25 years and I would never have dreamed it because I came here as a missionary pastor. I came here after a history in 1931, the doors of this building opened for the first time because so many people were saved in a, in a tent meeting out there that they needed a place to worship. And it was built by the sacrifices of God's people in that generation. And they put their, literally, their sweat, their tears, and probably some of their blood into seeing this place built. There were some great years. But then along in the 60s, I, I, I came here in early 1990. <laughs> and of course, we think that we have needs now. This building wasn't even usable out here at that time. And it hadn't been used in many, many years. <laughs> Brother Steve, I remember the first soul that was saved and we baptized in that baptistry. <laughs> we had to leave the tap running <laughs> because the water was leaking out so fast. <laughs> And there was no heat in it either, <laughs> none. <laughs> but what a joy. What a great blessing that it was. I can remember when we faced the challenges of trying to make this building usable when most every piece of wood in it was eaten up and rotten, <laughs> when it smelled like that you're walking into a cave instead of a building when you walk through those doors, when even the little room in the back where they were meeting. Mrs. Mooney was one of them. <laughs> she was here in those days. She still left here. She's, she's had to put up with me longer than any of you have. 
I can remember when, when we went to clean that room and take the carpet up, <laughs> that it was so far gone that we couldn't even, when we picked it up, it kind of just dissolved into dust on the ground because it was that decayed. We didn't have any people. We didn't have any money. There was a building falling down around our ears. But you know what? There were people here that loved God. There were people that were hanging on because they were determined that those Muslims that had already approached them to take over this building and turn it into a mosque, that that wasn't going to happen. They didn't know how. <laughs> they didn't know how they were going to hang on. But they were praying. They were praying to God. It was not a coincidence by any stretch, stretch of the imagination that during some of those years when they were fighting their toughest battles here just to keep the doors open, that in a missions conference just like we had last week, that God spoke to a young man that was still in his 20s. <laughs> and he scared him to death when he spoke to him about coming to this country to minister. That was the farthest thing from my dreams. Oh, I, I love God, and I, <laughs> I enjoyed preaching, and I love you folks, but I never, never, ever had any desire within me to come to this country to be a minister. <laughs> God did a lot of things, and it was during some of those years when Part of what we see in this passage today became such a reality to me. Though I had been raised in church, though I had been taught the passages and I'd heard them so many times, though I, like so many Christians, thought that I was living a life of faith and trusting God, I didn't really know what it was to live by faith, not completely because I never had to. <laughs> I love God, and I paid my tithes, and I gave to missions, and I did all those things. But I never had to really trust God for where our next meal would come from, for where our next tank of fuel to get us to the, to the next place along the road. And oh, I wish that I had time this morning to share with you the way that God always, always, Met those needs. <clears throat> I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew I was going to struggle this morning. <laughs> God never, ever left us stranded. And God had to teach us many things along the way. <laughs> and boy, he's still having to teach us a lot of things along the way. But you see, it wasn't a coincidence that when that group of people were gathering in this back room of this building, praying their hearts out to God to somehow give them some way to be able to keep this ministry going, to keep the doors of this church open. It was no coincidence that God was doing those things in our lives several thousand miles away in a different country. There's so many things, even in arriving here, I, you know, I, I never had any intentions of coming to Birmingham. I never had any intention. I never heard of this church, never knew of this church, never knew anything about this church and all the things that God put in place to bring us here in early 1990. And a few months later, 25 years ago next month, <laughs> to take the responsibility of leading them forward. Oh, there's so many things that God did to get us there. And oh, the challenges. You know that even some of my dearest, and I don't say this against them, some of my dearest preacher friends said, no, that's, that's a lost cause. <laughs> there's no way. There's no hope. It's too far gone. <laughs> there's no people. You'd be better off with no building than that building. But you know, when God moves in your heart, it doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter what 
people think and say when you know what God wants. God is always capable and able to pay for what he orders. It's amazing. Again, nobody would have ever thought. Matter of fact, seven years after arriving in 1995, when we took our first furlough back to the States, we thought that this church was the point of really being blessed and, and, and getting another pastor, that God was ready to probably move us on. But instead, God moved some of those leaders on, and they're now pastoring other churches and working in other places. I don't know why God wanted to keep me here, but <laughs> that's what he did. The ministry changed tremendously. God, listen, folks, we think we're facing some uphill battles. I'm not even sure I could sit down if we had the figures in front of us and show you how that God did what he did then. It wasn't because of me, and it wasn't because of what I did. But we just think we have some expensive things now. <laughs> we didn't have any money then. But God paid for everything that he ordered we do have a warm building today to meet in. God has met our needs in wondrous ways that are beyond our abilities and our means, and that's what we've got to grasp. It's not what we can do. There's one thing, one thing alone, that if God can do with you, and that's to truly be the love of your heart, <laughs> the first love of your heart, the love above all loves and if you love him that much and you know where God wants you, God will use you and not to do what you can do, but to do what is impossible with man, but possible with God. And you know, one of the, the amazing things about this passage that I hope that I can just help you to grasp today is that it's all God's grace. The grace of giving. Sometimes we get all, there's plenty that we could look around and we could be discouraged. We could say, you know, the job's too big and how can we do it and all of those things. And yes, I can get discouraged too. But you know, the thing that discourages me more than how much money that we've got in the bank. <laughs> yeah, I get nervous sometimes because the human side of me gets in the way. But it shouldn't because God has always proven himself. And that's all he asks us to do is just to prove him. <laughs> yes, the thing that hurts the most is when you see people that their hearts aren't really in it. If your heart's not in it, it's a downhill slope. <laughs> if our hearts are in, if God has the right place in our heart, if truly we keep saying it comes back to what's happening in here we can't bargain with God. <laughs> Lord, we'll do this if you'll do that. It's grace. That's what he, he says there. We, we've seen God do a lot of things. We've seen the challenges grow. We've seen the neighborhood change. We've seen in early days that when you went out and you knocked on those doors that you would get more responses. We've seen the place literally packed out. Now we go out there and most of those people are of another faith. They're either Muslim or they're Hindu, and most of the people when we go knock on the doors this, this coming Saturday, a lot of them won't want to talk to us. But guess what? Some of them will. And God is still God. And God has put them on our doorsteps, and we've We've seen and heard so much last week in our missions conference. The need is phenomenal. We could never reach most of these people if they were in their own community. Yes, it's more of a challenge for us. But what a phenomenal opportunity that it is before us. The financial needs that are before us are great. But what a wonderful opportunity to see God, do something great. I found something else out over the years. 
And that's that we can't live in what happened last week and last month and last year. We can be encouraged. We can be built up by that. But we've got to live in the present. What's God going to do today? We see what God has done. He's proven himself over and over and over. I want you to grasp that giving isn't a burden. Why is it that one of the passages that we began and that we looked at was how that God himself told us in 1 John chapter 3. He said, hereby perceive we the love of God. How do we know? How do we see the love of God? Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? I want to explain that a little bit. How dwell, how can, you know, how do we know, how do we see the love of God? Because he laid down his life for us. So if we have this world's goods, if we have things in this world, and we see a brother that has a need, and we just, we aren't moved by that. It doesn't matter to us. How does the love of God dwell in us? You know, the truth is, is that the Bible teaches us very clearly that we're made in the very image of God. We know that he has made us like him. Well, if God has made us in his image, and God is a God that was willing to give everything, his own life, that we could see that love, you see, we shouldn't even utter the words that it's God that lives in us because God can't truly be present in your life and have any space in your life and us not be moved by the needs of others because he hurts for the needs of others. And he goes on to tell us, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It becomes too easy for us in our society to say, I love God. <laughs> I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. Doing all these things. When in fact, he has little place at all in our lives. So many of us are thinking back of things that we did a long time ago. I remember hearing the story of a guy that had much of this world's good. As a matter of fact, he was a millionaire in this world. And he actually stood up in church and he was giving his testimony of what a wonderful thing that it was. That he remembered, he was giving God the credit for all of his wealth. And that's great. That's a good thing. He said, it all began when... As a young lad, he said, I was there and a, and a missionary was presenting his need. And so the problem was I had exactly $1 in my pocket, $1 bill. That's all I had. And of course, when it came time to give in the offering, I had a choice. I could either give nothing or I could give it all because there was no way of sharing it with God. I either had to give him the whole thing or nothing at all. And his testimony was that I gave God the whole thing. I gave God the whole dollar. And he says, that's why that I'm rich today. That's why I'm a millionaire today because I believe that when I put God first, he blessed me with all these things. And you know, what he was saying, that's good if that's true. And if that's what God did in his life those years ago, and the, the congregation was kind of in awe, and he came down, and he, and he came to sit down in his seat. And just as he went to sit down, there was a little old lady that had been in the church for years. 
She looked over at him. She said, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> I dare you to do it again. I dare you to give God all of it now. <laughs> you see, it's great that we can look back and think, I gave God my all. I did this. I did that. What are you willing to do for God now? If you trusted him with one pound, can you trust him with a million pounds? It's great that we can have great testimonies of words, but God's saying here, I want more than your words. Yes, God deserves the credit, but he says, I want the actions. I want to see you right now proving that love. God will prove himself over and over. And the hard thing is a lot of times we genuinely forget who it all belongs to. We, and I've said this many times, that, you know, when God honestly gets you, he'll have your wallet with you. <laughs> he'll have your current account with you. He'll have all of you if he's really got you. The problem is so many times we don't realize that, in fact, it is all God's, Brother Steve. <laughs> we wouldn't have anything. Remember reading the story of an art collector. And he liked collecting all these valuable pieces of art. And it really impressed people. And so he was in an art gallery one day. And as he walked by, there were all these expensive pieces of art. As he was walking around, he came into the art gallery all this expensive stuff. He had to come through this turnstiles and all this, make sure that you know that you had nothing that you shouldn't have on you. He goes around and he starts taking these valuable pieces of art off the wall and walking around with them under his arm. And somebody sees him and says, what are you doing? Those don't belong to you. And he says, I've got them, don't I? <laughs> They're in my arms. They're in my hands. I've got them. <laughs> he says, but you'll never get out of here with them. <laughs> They're not going to let you out of here with those pieces of art. He said, yeah, but while I'm walking down the aisles, they'll all know that I'm a great art dealer. <laughs> they'll all know that I've got these things. And I says, yeah, but when you go back through those turnstiles, you'll leave with the same thing you came with. You'll leave with nothing. His only thing he could do was impress people while he was there. You see, we came into this world with nothing. And guess what? It doesn't belong to us. It's there. We can admire it just like we can go into that, that museum and we can admire the beauty and all those things and, and it's there for us. But it's not ours. It's not ours. We somehow think that this is all ours that we're having to give away and the preachers want me to, to give away what I've worked hard for, what I've earned. He's wanting me to give more than anybody else is giving. As long as we think that it's ours, then we're never, ever, ever going to be in the place that God can truly use us. You see, we recognize the names of some of the great missionaries of bygone years. If I call the name John Wesley, most everybody would recognize John Wesley's name. He was a great evangelist. He was born in 1703. In 1731, as he was serving God, he began to limit his expenses so that he had money to be able to give to those in need, to give to those that were poor. It says that in the first year, his income was 30 pounds. That was his annual. Of course, that was a lot more money back then than it was now, granted. But he found that even though he made 30 pounds, he could live on 28. So the first year, he gave away two pounds. In the second year, his income doubled. But in the second year, when his income doubled, he kept his expenses the same. He lived off the 28, and he gave away the 32 to God's work. <laughs> that was like a year's, another year's income 
for somebody. The third year, his income jumped to 90 pounds. He still lived off the 28, and he gave 62 pounds to God's work. He said that in his long life, Wesley's income advanced to as high as 1,400 pounds, which was a significant amount of money in those days. But then all those years, his expenses rarely rose over 30 pounds. He said that he seldom had more than 100 pounds of all of his possessions added together at any one time. Matter of fact, it so baffled the tax collectors in this fine country that it was said in 1776 that they insisted that he had to have some possessions, some silver dishes that he wasn't paying excise tax on. Wesley's comment, I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. That's all the plate I have at present, and I shall not buy any more while so many around me want bread. <laughs> the story goes on, but most of the 30,000 pounds that he earned over his lifetime he gave away, and yet we look and we see this man and why God would use a man to turn him upside down. Well, you know, it wasn't because that he was probably the greatest speaker of his day. He may have been or may not have been. It wasn't because of who he was, but because of the place that God had in his life. A similar story is told of William Carey. William Carey received a packet of letters while he was in India. And in those letters were some criticisms because he was engaging in the affairs of trade. In other words, he was there to do God's business, but they found out that he was working as well. He was angry at the accusation because those that know the story of William Carey, the work that he did not only supported him, but the other missionaries that could come and work alongside him. We find that William Carey, he said, I am indeed poor and shall always be so till the Bible is published in Bengali and Hindustani and the people want no further instruction. After an allowance of him, the thing that was more important to William Carey, yes, for the money that he was earning as long as there were those that had needs of even having God's word in their language, then he had no desire to accumulate his wealth down here. You see, Second Corinthians is talking about a gift, a grace of giving. I want you to notice just how many times in that passage he said, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches in Macedonia. I want you to see, to know the grace of God that God bestowed upon this church in Macedonia. He's writing to the church at Corinth. And I believe that he would be saying to us at this church in Bethel this morning, I want you to see, I want you to know the grace of God that was bestowed upon the churches of Master. What would you think about when you start thinking about grace? You start thinking about gift. What is grace? It is an unmerited gift. It is something that is, that is given that is undeserved. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. So many times we want to earn God's grace. We feel that we've got to deserve it in some way. May I say to you, that all your best intentions in the world will fall by the wayside if it doesn't come back to the heart. It's God's grace that we need to be concerned about. I remember there was an old, old film made in the 70s entitled The End. Burt Reynolds starred in it. And most of the time, films aren't worth taking anything from, and there was... Good and bad stuff in that one. But one of the things that stuck out in my memory 
This guy was always, he was, he was trying to kill himself because life was so bad. He just wanted to give up. He wanted to throw it all away. There was nothing worth living for, and he kept messing it up. Every time he'd try to commit suicide, he'd, he'd mess it up somehow, and it wouldn't come off. And in this one particular case, he had decided that he was literally going to go where? He was just going to swim out and swim out and swim out and swim out so far that he didn't have any strength left, and there was no way that he could swim back, and he would just drown. So he did. He swam and he swam and he swam and literally he gave up in his strength and he started sinking and as he looked up and he could see the surface of the water and that bit of light, suddenly there was that within him that decided he wanted to live. And so he starts fighting for the surface again and he gets to the top and he breaks out and he's shouting those words, I want to live, I want to live. And suddenly, guess what? He starts trying to make a deal with God. God, if, you, if you'll get me out of here, if you'll give me the strength to get back to shore, I'll give you 80% of everything that I've got. I'll just keep 20 for me. And he started swimming. He's getting there. Hey, this isn't bad. He's getting there, and he gets the shore going closer. As he gets a bit closer, though, he starts cutting it. And I don't remember the exact figure. I know it started at 80 and it worked down to, you know, maybe half or something. And finally he got down to, you know, the shore was really getting in sight and he was down to 10%. Now, God, boy, you get me out of that. I'll give you 10% of everything that I've got. Finally, as he got closer to the shore, he said, I got this. I got this. And he wrote God out of it altogether. As long as he needed God, he was willing just to give it all. <laughs> but when he thought he had it in control, God lost sight. Look, we're not talking about making bargains with God. Matter of fact, we're not going to get there today, but we'll find that this is not something that God has commanded that you do. This is something that's going to come from your heart. And it's something that is just like we can sing about. There is no, as we sang that song earlier, there is nothing greater than that amazing grace of God that saved our soul. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved. A wretch like me. But the Bible's saying here, I want you to see to witness this grace that was known. In other words, this is not about bargaining with God. It's not about doing deals with God. It's not about you giving God more so that he'll give you more. It's about a grace. And then he goes on. This is where it gets amazing. How that, you know, we think a grace is just something that's great. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep Poverty, and if you look those words up, it's talking about deep. It's talking about a poverty like the homeless on the street that have nothing to do, that don't even know where their next meal is coming. It's talking about having nothing. In a trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Wow. I mean, I want you to see the grace that God bestowed upon this church. When I mean, man, they were in it deep. They were facing their afflictions. They were down. I used to say where I come from, they didn't have two nickels to rub together. They were in deep poverty. They didn't have anything to give them themselves. And yet, I want you to see the grace of God, how that in that situation, he says, for to their power I bear record. Yes, these people love God. Yes, I bear record to their power. They did what they could do. They were doing it all. Yes, but he says, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Beyond their power. They were willing of themselves. I'm talking about, I want you to see this grace of God that was beyond their power. I mean, they did everything they could, but man, this is something that was beyond these people. There's no way that they could do it. They didn't have anything beyond their power. He says they were willing of 
themselves. That willing heart, which we'll look at later, that willing heart. They were willing. Even though they didn't have anything, they were willing in their hearts. They were willing in themselves. They were willing for God to have everything for them. He said, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Here's a church, a church that is in great need, a church that the people are in deep poverty. I mean, they're struggling just to make ends meet, just to survive. And yet that church is taking, and in their gifts, they're begging us. They're begging us to take of what they've got. How can they do that when their needs are so great themselves? And yet they're begging us to let them give us a gift. They're not asking us to come and help them. They would have had every right to say, look at our needs. Look at how poorly we are. Look at how bad off we are. And that would be a natural thing. And it's, you know, I'm not saying, sometimes we have to be honest and we have to recognize to even know what to pray about. But I'm saying, even when they knew their great needs, God came first. They were willing when they had nothing of themselves. They were willing to do all they could, but they were willing to do what didn't even make sense. They were willing to go beyond themselves. They were willing to beg us to take a gift from them. It wasn't like, oh, no, here's the preacher trying to get me to put more into the bag. It's like they're saying, here, please, please, please take this gift. Let me do this for you. He says, and this they did, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. <laughs> you see, you got you to gotta understand. He said, I want you to see. <laughs> I want you to see the grace of God that was poured out on this church at Macedonia, how when they didn't have anything, when they were fighting their battles, when they were in deep affliction, when they didn't have any money, when they didn't have any finances and all these things, they did everything they could, but then they're begging us to take of a gift from them. We find that he says, but the only way that would happen is because, first of all, they gave themselves to God. They gave it lock, stock, and barrel. <laughs> Many of you remember my dear, dear, dear friend, Brother Richard Rawls. I remember the first time I heard him preach about that passage in the States. And, of course, many of the churches there, instead of using the, the bag like we use, they use an offering plate like some churches will here. And I remember him taking that offering plate and setting it in the floor and telling the story. The little boy that had nothing to give, but he came up and he set the offering plate down and Stepped into it himself. <laughs> he said, Lord, this is all I got. <laughs> I got no possessions. I got nothing else. But you got me. You see, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He says, church, man, I want you to see the grace of God that was just poured out on this church at Macedonia. How that in their afflictions, in their troubled time, in their battles, when they had absolutely nothing. They were, they were begging us to take a gift. They were wanting to be a part of our ministry. But they did this because they gave themselves, first of all, to God, <laughs> and then to us. <laughs> in other words, God, they gave themselves to God, but then others' needs mattered more to them. It mattered more to them that they help us than themselves. They gave themselves first of all to God and then to us. He said, wow, you know, <laughs> this is all, yes. And he said this was by the will of God. Why do all these things, why does it make sense when we talk about being more blessed to give than to receive? <laughs> we like getting gifts, more blessed to give than to receive. Give and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over 
shall God give. He says the same measure that you measure with is the same measure that he will measure with. See, why do those things make sense? By the will of God. And so much that we declare Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you what? The same grace also. First of all, I want you to see the grace of God, what he did for this church at Macedonia that was totally, totally beyond anything these people could do. I want you to see this, but not only that, he said, I want you, I want the same, I want him to finish in you the same grace also. I want this same grace to be present in you. Therefore, as ye abound, this church at Corinth, they had a lot of things that the church at Macedonia didn't have. They had many things going for them. Yes, they had problems, there's no doubt. He'd already dealt with some of those in everything. In faith, he says. In utterance. In knowledge. In all diligence. In your love to us. In all these things, see that ye abound in this grace also. You see, the truth is, is that they had a lot of great things, but this was a grace that he wanted them to see and experience just like the church at Macedonia. You see, today, and we'll look at it closer, but just not today. Today, above all else, I want you to grasp and see and understand that what we're talking about is the grace of God. It's not what we can do. It's not what we deserve to do. It's all by the grace of God, the same kind of grace when God reached down and showed his love to us. When we were so undeserving, God reached down and gave himself. He became poor for our sakes. He gave it all up for our sakes. That grace we understand. But he's saying, I want you to see this grace of God working in the church, when it's not just people doing what they can do, we can do some good things. We can do some things that might help some people, but we're very limited in what we can do. That's why I want you to earnestly pray. Earnestly be praying. You see, when we fill out those faith promise commitments for the coming year, and we'll talk more about that next Sunday, there's even more exciting things to see on this, but I want you to grasp what it's all about is that God wants us to see and know and experience this grace in our lives that is beyond anything that we can do and anything that we can imagine. It's the grace of God that will work in our midst, and he wants us to know that. In everything else that we do, he wants us to know this grace also. He wants us to abound in this grace also. Now you can shut it off. And guess what? You can shut me off today. You can leave here and say, Preacher, I don't want to hear another word about, preach, about giving. <laughs> you can do whatever you want with what is given. I've just prayed that God would help us today in these few verses to grasp that we're not talking about what we deserve to do or not to do. We're not trying to bargain with God. What we're trying to do is experience the grace of God. Only God can do that. And that's what we're talking about here, to experience the same kind of grace that will only begin when you give yourself, first of all, you get in the offering plate. You truly give yourself to God, and you give yourself to those others instead of being inward looking. God can begin to do a work. We can experience to see a grace of God working. We'll look at some of the details about that next week because I want to tell you something. It's exciting. It's exciting to see God do what you can't do and to do what you don't deserve, to do what nobody deserves, to see God do things that you can set back and you can know that it is only God. It's great that we can do what we want to do. But we want to see God move in our midst. We want to see God save those 
that many think are unsavable. We want to see God do the things, and that's not going to happen by getting our focus upon me and my needs and all my discouragements. It's going to start when we begin to truly, genuinely give ourselves to God and to others just as they did in that church. Father, I thank you today, and Lord, I know that I barely scratched the surface of the things that you've dealt with even just this preacher this week. Lord, I pray. Lord, we don't need to see a work of man, a work that can be accredited to man, a work that can be accredited to church leaders, a work that can be accredited to a bunch of good people in a church. Lord, we want to see you move in our midst. We want to see and know this kind of grace that you performed in the church of Macedonia. How that, yes, they did everything that they could do, but they gave that which was totally beyond them. And Lord, it all began when they truly, first of all, gave themselves to you. And then they gave themselves to others. Father, I pray that you'd help us today to concentrate on that and realize that's what your grace is all about. <laughs> you gave yourself to us. You gave yourself to die for us, to show us that love. Well, help us not to just love in words only, but help us to love in deeds, in action. Help us not just to have a testimony of what we did 30 years ago for God, but help us to be willing to do something today. And I pray, Lord, that rather than looking around, even as I have to admit this preacher is guilty sometimes, Lord, of looking around and, and, and maybe saying, you know, well, why? Who cares? And, and, and all these other, the Lord, help us not to worry about that, but to realize that in the first instance, giving ourselves to you and giving ourselves to others, and nobody deserves anything. Help us, Lord, to get our focus back in the right place. Help us, Lord, to be willing to understand, to be part of the grace of giving. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.